Let's listen to another one here. This is a little shorter. They need to slap Pelosi till she gets pretty and sober. It's going to take a lot of hits. Well, now that they know the, peop- the voice of the people has spoken and what we stand for, maybe they might wake their ass up and say, hey, uh, let's just uh, appease the people and give them Trump. From what I'm hearing, they have breached the Capitol. They are inside fighting, still fighting the police. Can we get it confirmed on that? That is confirmed. They are inside, going through the door, front and back door, going through windows, climbing scaffolding. They are inside. Congress is being taken out of the chamber and put into secured sheltered areas for evac. That's uh, revealing. I mean, they're inside and now things are beginning to heat up. Uh, What did you make of that, Scott? What strikes me most is just how many cases, big, small, mid-level, where Nancy Pelosi's referenced, either mm-hmm. something vulgar or violent about or toward Nancy Pelosi. It's also not a surprise to look at the backstories of some of these defendants and see accusations, if not convictions, for misogyny, for domestic assault, for violence against women. And every time I hear it, Zev and Joe, every time I hear it, it's like, there's another one. There's another person accused of saying something violent toward Nancy Pelosi. It is a great thing. It is a wonderful thing. She was safely evacuated on January 6th. Yeah. The hatred towards yeah. Pelosi and to Pence throughout all this tape is quite remarkable. I mean, especially because Pence was on their team, supposedly, up until that day. But it's really remarkable how much hatred they have toward the Democrats, and particularly Pelosi, as you point well, out. What's more, if you look through the Oath Keepers cases, as Joe has and as I have, mm. you'll see also vulgar phrases chanted towards Mitch McConnell, specified near around that so-called military stack January 6th. I'm really interested in why there's so much vulgarity. I mean, it's sort of maybe just a military culture, but it does seem very vulgar. It seems so, so steeped in hatred. It's not only vulgar in terms of the language. It's mm-hmm. vulgar in terms of the racial mm-hmm. overtones of a lot that was alleged that day. Soiled the walls yeah. on January 6th. People, you know, drinking alcohol they found on site. People smoking cigarettes and marijuana inside this hallowed building. Mm-hmm. Vulgar in lots of different levels. Yeah, really. And the Confederate flag is disgusting as well. The fact that that's being paraded through and, you know, what they've done to ransack offices, it's disgusting. Especially there were multiple Confederate flag images, not Mm. just the notorious one that you saw Mr. Seafried allegedly carrying near the Senate chamber. There were others. And it wasn't a singular moment or a singular person doing that. And the giant cross, I guess we were going to try and hang someone on the gallows or somehow as well. There's a... So there, you know, was the, a, there was a small gallows that, that mm. was, according to a witness, not large enough to use, and, and mm. pardon that phrase, but it was more of a model gallows with a fluorescent orange rope of significant strength. And I had a couple of historians tell me the orange is not accidental. Orange mm. makes it more bright, obvious, noticeable, a brighter symbol. We know that the noose rope itself is in the possession of the Washington field office of the FBI, far from Capitol Hill. Hasn't been referenced in any charging documents, but that the FBI has it raises the prospect it'll eventually be mentioned in somebody's case. Hmm. Fascinating. All right, let's listen to uh, two more we got here. This is, I think they're getting pretty close to getting inside the stack. We are in the mezzanine. We are in the main dome right now. We are rocking it. They're throwing grenades. They're freaking shooting people with paintballs, but we're in here. Be safe, be safe. God bless and Godspeed and keep going. Get it, Jess. Do your shit. This is what we fucking lived up for. Everything we fucking trained for. Be safe out there, brother. I just got a news release over my phone that they've just dispersed tear gas in the Capitol Rotunda. Who has dispersed? Because we got tear gas too, I think. 
they said the tear gas was dispersed to try clearing them out and it is not even moving any of them out of the building yeah i think they're a little pissed off right now <laughs> well i guess they're going to realize now that the american patriots and the american people are not going to put up with this illegal bullshit that they're pulling and trying to get fucking slow joe in there that's uh, quite triumphant for them, I guess. They're arriving at the mezzanine. I still don't know what the plan was. I mean, it seems to me, listening to the audio, they were going to try to hold everyone hostage for a long period of time. Yeah, I don't know what their plan was to just maybe occupy the space for as long as possible to sort of delay, you know, the counting of the electoral votes. But then what were you going to do? At some point, mm. the National Guard was going to come. At some point, you have to take the Capitol back. What were they going to do? They were hoping, I think, for some sort of negotiation or negotiated settlement, if, if you listen to the audio. But then things went awry because someone died. But let's uh, focus on that moment where she arrives at the mezzanine, Scott. That's a very you know, damning evidence, I guess, of this entire indictment. This is a multi-front war on January 6th. And you're focusing on one front, mm. a rather interesting one, where you have accused far-right group members who are accused of plotting and planning and coordinating who got access to this hallowed place. What was supposed to happen next? This could be a component of what the feds are trying to get by flipping mm -hmm. some members of the Oath Keepers. But that's one front. There are other fronts mm -hmm. that included a whole lot more violence. You mm -hmm. go to the west front of the Capitol where you have hand-to-hand -hand gruesome combat that led to injuries that had a cloud of chemical spray, barbaric fighting. That's not where the accused Oath Keepers are. You've got different evidence each day. You've seen video, it seems to be like a commercial loading dock with a door closing. Right. People right, getting that, yeah. beneath it, fighting through police, throwing trash can at police. You've got the other fronts you know, where you had the two, sorry, the Capitol Police officer chemically sprayed. He would later die of, of natural causes of a stroke. There's that assault. There's all these different spots. On right. the East Front, a different group of accused far-right group members, the accused Proud Boys, one of whom allegedly smashed open the window, allowing the mob to enter. The Oath Keepers are in one spot, but as Joe mm. sees from reading through the indictments, as I see, they're not there where that Game of Thrones-style fighting was happening. Right. But it is fascinating when you look at this uh, timeline map that we have here, how quickly all these groups were able to surround the Capitol, matter of minutes, really, and gain access to the building on all fronts, and how violent, and you're so right about how violent everything was on all these sides, and maybe the Oath Keepers not so violent, considering how much was going on elsewhere. It was just a different front. What strikes me most about that map is just the closeness in time of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about 19 minutes. simultaneous nature to it. And I haven't seen much of an intersection in the thousands of pages of court filings between different far-right groups alleging or specifying coordination. I haven't mm. seen that. If the feds have those cards, they may not be showing them yet. But everything does seem to just happen at once, doesn't it? It does. It's pretty mysterious. This, this robust movement from all corners. And they all knew where they were going. I mean, they, it seems like they all knew where they were going because that's where they landed up and got in so quickly. Some of them even having doors open from the inside. Joe, uh, tell us a little bit more about this mezzanine moment of uh, Watkins arriving and uh, how important that is from your perspective. Well, it's important because, you know, she's basically given, you know, the channel sort of the, hey, we're here. It's the planting of the flag. We're inside here. Mm -hmm. This is what we came to do. And we've won, right? We've completed our mission to get into the mezzanine. Being in the mezzanine, they could have gone in either direction. They could have gone to the Senate. They could have gone to the House. Anything could have happened at that point. One of the things that's extremely interesting is in one of the documents that I read, I'm going to see if I can go back and find it, or maybe it was in an, an interview that Stuart Rhodes did at one point. 
he mentioned that the Oath Keepers were in there to provide medical aid. They had already been there. So they had heard that there was a shot fired. There's a mention of it on that tape. But at one point, to use the fact that they actually went into the Capitol to render medical aid is ridiculous because they, one, breached the Capitol before the shot was made, and two, never rendered any medical aid. Right. Interesting. Here's another one. Here's um, the fifth clip here. This is uh, soon afterwards. I, I have actually been part of taking over countries or running elections in countries, in other countries around the world, where we say, hey, be more like us, act more like us. In fact, we're going to show you how to do an election for you in your country, Iraq, in your country, Afghanistan, in your country, name the Central American country in the in the 80s and the 90s. So anyway, I just... This is embarrassing. No, I totally agree with you. And under the U.S. law, under the State Department, under the U.N., if they're not poll watchers, if there's not, you redo the election. I get into politics because I'm a politician. I get into politics because I care about the future of the country. There was, I saw the country going towards socialism while I was in uniform. So that's why I, I felt so strongly about getting involved in the political process because I knew if we went a different direction, we wouldn't have this conversation. DNA in the American psyche and in the American culture that still exists, and that DNA goes all the way back to 1776. Again, 1776 comes up again, but these guys, you know, it's interesting. They're reflecting on them trying to bring order to other countries, and yet here they are creating absolute chaos in D.C. I mean, it seems like they're haven't really thought it through very well, or they're just so brainwashed that they're in a different dimension almost. One of the interesting components of the Oath Keepers case that I found in their court files, but I didn't find in others, is the prosecutors allege what they call a bug out plan, Mm -hmm. a contingency plan. If all hell breaks loose or if all things go all to hell, they had a plan, read the court filings correctly, to go to the mountains of Kentucky or West Mm -hmm. Virginia or Western Virginia where they'd be proof from being spotted by drones, where they'd have supplies. They had a bug-out plan. I'm not sure what would have caused a bug-out plan to be enacted (laughs) if this didn't, because this didn't go too well for them. It did not, Um, though. They had a contingency plan, the feds argued at one point earlier this year. Another layer of a conspiracy case is to Mm -hmm. have a a bug-out plan. And Kentucky is so important that you mentioned Kentucky because... Earlier, we talked about Stuart Rhodes working for Ron Paul. Well, his son, Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky. So to find an open arms in Kentucky is an interesting thought as well. By the way, people here on the chat has Matt Falso saying that he believes that that is Alex Jones on that tape. That it, is like Alex Alex, it is Alex Jones on that tape. Yes. Oh. So not only is it Alex Jones, that is Michael Flynn telling Alex Jones on January 5th during an interview that they did at the Willard. That's Mike Flynn telling Alex Jones about how he was in the 80s and 90s, you know. Uh, oh, that's really interesting. So why is it included inside this? Why is it included in their velo chat? It's, it's included because this was sort of towards the end of the day as things were, you know, they were starting to sense that things weren't going their way anymore. And they had actually on the Zello chat played and broadcast that message over the Zello chat to the hundred or so people that were on that Zello chat. That's part of just uh, an open channel on Zello that they just broadcast that particular part of the interview between Mike Flynn and Alex Jones. But it's not necessarily Alex Jones. Uh, and, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. You go Alex ahead. You go ahead. Jones and Infowars keep coming up mm-hmm. in these cases. We're reading through in the past week the case of a man named Daniel D.J. Rodriguez from California. He's mm-hmm. accused of using the taser device on the neck of injured D.C. police officer Michael Fanone. The FBI released through the U.S. attorney and we read through the 
hundreds of pages of transcript of the FBI's questioning of Rodriguez. And they asked him, where do you get your beliefs and information from? And he responded, InfoWars. Yeah. InfoWars is my source. And we see as somebody who has made appearances on InfoWars is actually charged in a January 6th case. Right, right. Um, it just keeps coming up. And it's one of the connective tissue in an increasing number of cases. Yeah, I've argued from the very beginning that this said he sort of operates as the Ministry of Propaganda for this whole thing for months and months, you know, even back early in September before the elections, he and uh, Stone were discussing the Insurrection Act on InfoWars. This is the first recorded event where they were talking openly about what was going on. So it's interesting that their tape is being played into this fellow chat as these people are actually putting part of the insurrection and it certainly adds questions around when Alex Jones will be indicted and if he'll ever be indicted, certainly for not responding to the commission with subpoenas, but also when he He'll be indicted for his activities leading up to that. Because Troy, as you point out, which is the other InfoWars uh, personality, has, in fact, yeah. been indicted. Jonathan Schroyer. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Joe, any other thoughts on uh, Alex Jones there or anything else we should know about that? Or should we move on to the next one? I think we go to the next one. This is the last one. So we are post-event. So this is after the event. She's a little tired, is Ms. Watkins. I want to say thank you. It's almost Watkins. Someone is. Oh, no, thank you, 3%. Thank you to everybody. Really. Like I said, you know, if I'm going to die in this country, I'm going to die free, along with my patriot friends. I, I, I will never consent to this presidency. I will never consent to communism. If you guys need me, I'll, I'll be here. I'll have the phone by my on my bedside. Sounds pretty maudlin, sounds pretty sad and tired, obviously, but deceived, like ser seriously deceived by what was going on in the country at the time. There's an arc to this tape because it does start out sort of exciting. We're in the mezzanine. Yay, mm. look at us. And then you have that sort of demoralized, hey, what just happened? Mm -hmm. The voice that we just heard, I spoke earlier about this sort of, you know, relay team. They're thanking her for providing intel. She mm. was literally taking information off of social media, such as Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood. She was taking things that they were tweeting, talking about how Pence had betrayed them, how Pence had you know failed anything. And you can tell that they're demoralized by what had happened and disillusioned. Mm -hmm. Especially because someone had died. I mean, by that point, two people had died. It's interesting to me that this is what the end of the day sounds like to them. They don't feel very triumphant. They obviously felt like it was a disaster for them too. Yet they still seem somewhat committed to dying for the cause, even though it was a giant failure. And if you talk to some of the January 6th defendants who are locked up pre-trial in the D.C. jail, or you speak with their attorneys, they'll tell mm -hmm. you, some of them will, that what exists now among those January 6th defendants in the jail is almost cult-like. They're segregated from the rest of the general population, either for their safety, the rest of the population's safety, or both. And every night they sing the national anthem. They mm. speak about January 6th a lot. One of the defendants says it's not a good place to go to get fresh new ideas mm. and to try to separate yourself from the politics in the moment of January 6th. It, it's all they talk about. It consumes them. There's one defendant who's worried he's going to become radicalized because he's in that wing of the jail. <laughs> well, it's He'll true. Now I mean... become radicalized. So the, the, whatever you heard in the 11th hour after the peak of the riot January 6th, you only can imagine what the talk is like now. Yeah. Is there it triumphalism? Yeah. Is there denialism? Is there defeatism?
It doesn't feel like it's gone away. I mean, it certainly feels like certainly the people in there must be getting radicalized, but I feel like the rest of the country has shifted further into their direction. There's a lot more sympathy these days for everyone involved in January the 6th. It seems like despite the commission's really terrific work so far in exposing some things and confirming many of the things that many of us had reported before, but the country doesn't seem to be behind the move to, to go after these people. Certainly Democrats are, you know, a huge part of the Democratic um, support in this country are in favor of it, but it doesn't seem like the whole country's still thinking about January 6th. That to me is why this is the most fascinating story of our lifetimes, because mm-hmm. yeah. this story has just begun. It's a transformative moment in our culture, in our politics, and in how we view each other in our communities. Mm-hmm. You ask, do people think it's a big deal? It's a real Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. I have no shortage of people, you two don't either, who probably say, you know, everybody involved should be in prison for years. Everybody mm-hmm. should be locked up for decades. There was any part of this. Right. Then you have others saying this wasn't a crime, this was a peaceful protest, that the real insurrection was November 3rd and January 6th was a protest. You have that binary. Mm-hmm. You have that much of a divide And January 6th has fueled a cultural and political change that began with Trump and has now infused it with a new momentum and energy. Absolutely. It speaks to how much propaganda is still going on. Go ahead, Joe. And the fact that they call them tourists, right? So I think, you know, again, as you say, this is really an historic moment. And I believe that these tapes, that this audio is historical record. In it, you can hear them already talking about well, Antifa was there, and it was Antifa that did the violence, and it was right. the BLM folks that did the violence. And if you look at the people walking through the rotunda, they looked like regular tourists. So now you start to wonder, where is it that they're getting the information from a political perspective? Like, how did that representative come to the conclusion that this was tourist? Did he hear this audio? Because what's very interesting is some of the people that are on this audio, I'll say this, historically, they were also involved with members of the Freedom Caucus. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Paul Gosar. We're talking about Andy Biggs. Part of this audio also includes Paul Gosar's speech, because if if you recall, when we talked about the precision and the timing of everything that went down, Paul Gosar was the one giving his speech when they had to recess the house because everybody had broken and breached the Capitol. So it was Paul Mm -hmm. Gosar literally giving the speech at the time. Mm -hmm. It's all coordinated. It is it does all feel very coordinated and it does just feel as you point out both of you point out it is just a, a one episode of what seems to be a continuing episode to drain our democracy of its democracy and uh I fear that the machinery that now was telling these people that what they were doing is legal and that they were right to go in and storm the Capitol and that they had a citizen's warrant or whatever it was to do so, that that machinery has now gone well beyond just that group of people who are there at January the 6th, but is infecting everybody in the country to a very large extent. We've seen the move of these uh, sheriffs, these sovereign sheriffs that are showing up everywhere. You know, The rule of law, the absolute principles in which this country is based on have been completely undermined. It feels to me like a propaganda machine. It feels to me like it's an information war machine that is both external and that it comes from maybe foreign countries like Russia, but it's also now internal, domestic, coming from any number of players internally. You also have citizens who are only consuming curated information. Right. Information they want curated for them. I wouldn't doubt the people who think this was a peaceful tourist visit are only seeing the images Joe referenced. That one snippet of video where at one point, The mob was between the velvet ropes in the rotunda. Mm -hmm. For one moment they were, and if that's all you see of it, if all you see is the group outside the the Trump speech at the White House ellipse, you may think that. If I come up with some information that may be exculpatory for some of these defendants that may evoke sympathy or may make you think that they didn't do something quite so wrong, there are a number of people who don't want to hear that either. 
Oh, we yeah. don't want to hear about right. anything sympathetic or exculpatory about a named defendant. So if people actively consume and seek out only curated information, they're perpetuating this propaganda themselves. Absolutely. Any thoughts about the propaganda as well, Joe, from you? Yeah, I think that's what led to, you know, some of those people who were caught up in the moment. Like, how did they get so uh, angry at Nancy Pelosi? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not angry at Nancy Pelosi. I've watched Fox News and I understand why they're angry at Nancy Pelosi, because everything she does is evil. I think when you start to demonize people, and like you said earlier about, you know, a lot of Christians that are involved in this, you start talking about demons and really starting to demonize all of the Democrats, but looking to Nancy Pelosi as being sort of this, you know, leader of a demonic sect, it's going to cause vitriol against her. And as you pointed out, uh, Scott, about the misogyny, it all goes to the same point. Why is why is Biggs, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but why is his feet up on her desk? All right. Why, why is that? He Barnett, to, yeah. Big up. That's right. Big up. So why is his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk? I mean, come on, let's get real. Mm -hmm. So rude. And yet there he is uh, doing just that. So it's a scary time we live in in the United States right now. And I wonder if you guys have any thoughts about how we move beyond this, because you more than any, Scott, I think are covering a different side of the American population. But these insurrectionists are very different people. How do we bring them back into the fold? Can we bring them back in the fold? First of all, I've developed an appreciation for how diverse this group actually is. You have mm -hmm. people from all different demographies, from different socioeconomic statuses, from nearly every state in the nation. There's clusters from upstate New York to Southern California, from Florida mm -hmm. to Illinois and Michigan. You have people from different professional backgrounds, blue collars and white collars but all of them to a degree undergoing some form of radicalization. And I think it goes back to the point you made earlier. If we continue to consume exclusively information we want curated and sanitized that mm -hmm. only aligns with our political perspectives, we're not gonna progress. We're not gonna reunify. Joe watches Fox News. I watch Fox News. I watch MSNBC, Newsmax, CNN. I'll consume any morsel of information I can find because I want to understand how all Americans mm -hmm. are digesting news. Right. Until so we have nice. a more unifying theory, we're not going to be unified. This is so local. Like when we talked about, you know, the Oath Keepers, it's local, right? Get into your counties. You talk about the sheriffs, it's local. Get into your counties. This is about messaging. In terms of, I think two things need to happen. So conversations like this, where we're actually talking about facts, these are things that the government can prove. There's evidence for them. It's not rhetoric. It's simply what they can prove and what they have evidence of. All that information is in these documents. Secondly, we have to message properly. A lot of the things, as, as Scott mentioned about the demography of these folks, a lot of the things that the Democrats wanna do are geared towards helping those people specifically. They really are trying to help every American and touch everyone on a local level. So the Democrats have to do a better job of messaging and how they're going about doing things. And I'll say this thirdly, we need to pass voting rights legislation. Mm -hmm. It is the most important thing that we have to do legislatively from this point forward. That's not likely to happen, as you know, but uh, you're right. It is absolutely important that we do that. I feel like we're at the point where both sides need to be giving in a little bit. You know, clearly America has given this very clear message from both sides, but, you know, it's not going to help us if we continue to stay a divided, polarized country. The past is probably not going to be recreated. There needs to be something new. And that's something new requires everyone to give in a little bit and compromise in this little uh, rant for a lot lately, because I think it's so important. You know, there's no ways these insurrectionists are coming over to the liberal side if nothing changes on the liberal side and vice versa. And there's not going to be a one winner on this thing. It's going to have to be everybody meets somewhere in the middle. And I, I hope uh, I, I don't these understand. things work. 
why every American is to some degree obsessed with this, because there is a straight line between what happens with this prosecution and this investigation and January 6, 2025. Oh, 100%. The future of of what happens in our country, it's being decided now. It's being influenced right now. This is the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the thing we need to fixate on. Anybody who cares about the future of the country, the future of our government, and our democratic system. That's a really great point to end this on, Scott, because that's in fact why we've been doing so much reporting on, on January the 6th, as of course you have. But, you know, this is just so instrumental and so pivotal to how we go forward. And it does go all the way to the top. I mean, you know, we started the show saying the Oath Keepers with Roger Stone that morning. And then we found out, you know, there they are on the mezzanine level of capital hours later. It's all connected. All these people are connected. It's one operation and will absolutely determine what happens next time around in 25 when we have a, another inauguration or should have another inauguration. Um, thank you both very much for being with us tonight on Narrative Scott McFarlane, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Tell everyone how they can find you on Twitter and elsewhere. At McFarlane News, we tweet uh, the moment every development comes. And this is one of those stories with 700 criminal cases and a federal uh, U.S. committee uh, looking at it where there's news every moment. I cannot believe how good your feed is, by the way. It is a must-watch for anybody who's interested in anything that happened on that day. It's always got Mrs. breaking McFarlane news. McFarlane would rather I put the phone down for a while. <laughs> She's working on that, and we're well, trying to grow. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're compromising too. That's good. It's good to see. But uh, we're all thrilled that you are spending as much time as you can updating that feed as well. And Joe Dempsey, thanks very much for being here tonight. People can find you at Dempsey too. And terrific work as always in the research floor to help narrative tell the story and on your own feed where you provide lots of great threads. And there's one coming soon, which I know everyone's going to be excited about checking out. So with all that being said, thank you for being here tonight on Narrative. We'll be back tomorrow night with another interesting episode that swings off this one because we're going to go talk about the Oath Keepers and one of the people who is able to infiltrate the Oath Keepers. The story of how they got in and what they found out, that'll be on tomorrow night's Narrative. So we hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, have a good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.